Lord God, thank you that on this resurrection morning, uh, we can see and reflect together on the cure for shame. And as we have a window into this uh, very significant event in Peter's life, when he meets the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ ministers to his heart, we pray that we ourselves would also understand how the gospel uh, speaks to our hearts and addresses the shame we carry, and ultimately provides a balming cure for it. So thank you for all that the resurrection of Christ means for us today. And may this particular aspect of its relevance to our lives shine brightly as we reflect on it together. Amen. For Peter, the resurrection of Christ was not really the cure to all his woes. Because, of course, Peter still carried a heavy load of guilt and shame for his desertion of Jesus. How could he have denied his friend and Lord in his hour of greatest need? And not just once, but three times. Now, when someone is heartbroken and in pain, uh, they frequently don't have the bandwidth to face either new experiences or situations. They often tend to revert to the familiar. And that is what Peter does. He returns to his original vocation. Uh, Peter goes fishing. But unbeknownst to Peter, on this very day, Jesus would bring peace and healing to the guilt and shame that seethed untamed in his heart. Now, through a couple of reenactments, uh, Christ is going to take Peter on a journey uh, back to the key past events in Peter's ministry with Jesus. But Christ will now fill these past events with new meaning and new purpose. Uh, Jesus is going to give the opportunity to Peter for forgiveness for past failures and to offer him the honourable role of new service moving forward. So, at the first event that Jesus reenacts was, of course, the miraculous catch of fish, which uh, the first event of this was recorded back, of course, in Luke chapter 5. And this was at the very beginning of Peter's ministry with Jesus. But now, uh, a mirror of that original event happens and unfolds. Uh, Peter and his colleagues have been fishing all night and caught nothing. Jesus instructs them to cast their nets one more time. They haul in a huge catch of fish to the point that the nets are almost tearing. And Peter has a revelation as to who Jesus is. Uh, back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls them to leave their nets and to follow him. Uh, he invites them to no longer be fishers of fish, but rather fishers of people. And that, of course, back in Luke chapter 5, is what the other Peter and the other fishermen did. They left everything and they followed Jesus. And it's as if Jesus is now reenacting the commissioning of Peter, although it is a different Peter to that of several years prior. Uh, he is saying to Peter, you still have a key role in my kingdom. Your failure doesn't disqualify you. The irony is that not only does Peter's failure not disqualify him for useful service, it probably actually qualifies him. Uh, Peter is now a broken man. Uh, gone is all the bravado. 
He is all too aware of his weakness and his need. But those qualities are exactly what Christ is looking for in his ambassadors. Uh, When we think about ourselves, uh, shamed people uh, often view themselves as unworthy and worthless. But these are exactly the sort of people that Christ chooses to include and to use in his kingdom. You see, brokenness and humility are important credentials for those in Christ's service. So let's go back to that scene in John 21. There are the fishermen. They're still struggling to get the writhing mass of fish to the shore. But now the focus of the camera shifts to the barbecue on the beach. Jesus has already constructed a fire and is cooking. He's cooking fish and bread on the coals. And he invites them to come and to have breakfast with him. Now we need to remember that in the Bible, eating with someone is a very meaningful event. Eating with someone is an act of fellowship. It's an affirmation of relationship. It's a way of saying, you matter to me. You see, that's the barb in the religious leader's complaint against Jesus during his earthly ministry. Matthew 9, verse 11, uh, they say to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, a meal was an act of welcome. A meal was an invitation to feel like one of the family. And so as Jesus invites Peter to eat with him, it is an act of restorative fellowship. As Jesus hands Peter the fish and the bread, he's inviting him back into the family. What we're seeing is a movement from shame to acceptance. Uh, Do you remember how we defined shame? Uh, Shame is a negative self-belief that says, I am bad. I am unworthy. I am of no value. And if we were to look for one word that best summarizes shame, it would be the word unacceptable. It's this belief that I am unacceptable. Uh, Here's the slide again. So what is the cure for shame? Because that's where we're ultimately heading. And the cure for shame is acceptance. To those who believe they are unacceptable, Jesus says, you are acceptable to me. You are loved and you belong. And of course, that is the gospel. Uh, In that familiar verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Jesus issues an invitation to open the door of our hearts to him. But have you noticed what he says will happen if we open the door? It's not just that he will enter in. Here it is again. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus will eat with us. It's an act of welcome. You are one of the family. Uh, You belong And that just doesn't just apply when we become Christians, 
because Revelation 3 verse 20 is actually directed to lukewarm Christians. It's Christians who have gone off the boil. And Jesus is saying, if you open the door of your heart to the areas of my life you've shut me out of thus far, I will come in and eat with you. It's that ongoing work of Christ assuring us, you are accepted with me. Come deeper into that love. Now, the theological term for this is the doctrine of adoption. On Good Friday, we saw the cure for guilt is forgiveness. That is the doctrine of justification. Uh, That is the gift that Christ offers to everyone who will come to him in humble faith and say, please forgive me. And so those people, Christ says those healing words, the price is paid, you are now free. But that is not all Christ says. Because Christ doesn't just address our guilt, he also addresses our shame. Uh, Christ says, not only are you forgiven, but you are loved. You are accepted. You belong. You are now adopted into God's family. Uh, As we know from John chapter 1, Christ gives us the right to become children of God. When the judgment of God was poured out on Jesus, it removed the legal hurdles that prevented adoption. And now the Father's adoption plan, uh, conceived before the creation of the world, is at last enacted. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says this, In love, he, that is the Father, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. 1 John 3 verse 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. On Good Friday, uh, we felt the weight of all the scorn and the abuse and the humiliation and disgrace and shameful treatment poured on Jesus. So let's reflect for a moment on the security that Christ had in his Father's love. Because on Good Friday, we reminded ourselves that amidst all that abuse that Jesus experienced, he never once experienced shame as we experience it. He never once said, I am bad. I am unacceptable. And the question we're going to tease out then is, how is that possible? Of course, Jesus never experienced shame because he did something wrong. Uh, He didn't have any guilt and he could never say, I did bad. But of course, as we have seen, uh, the causes of shame are not just the bad things we do. Shame is also caused by the bad things done to us or by our association with people considered bad. And of course, Jesus certainly experienced shame in those second and third senses the shameful way he was treated, and his association with with the shamed. So, amidst all that abuse and amidst all that shame, how did Jesus never slip into the mindset of saying, 
I am bad? And the answer is this. Jesus was secure in his Father's love. He knew that even if everyone else abused him and deserted him, he was still valued and loved by God the Father. He placed supreme value on his Father's opinion of him, not on other people's opinion of him. And that gave him an incredible security. And so when we think about ourselves as people trusting in Christ, what an incredible bedrock certainty we can have. Uh, Can you imagine what life would be like if we enjoyed the level of security in our relationship with God the Father that Christ did? Uh, John Chapman, the uh, well-known evangelist and speaker, who's now with the Lord, of course, uh, used to recount the story of a young boy who was being put to bed one night by his adoptive father. And the boy looks up at him, his adoptive father, and asks, Do you love me? And the father replies, Yes, son, you know I love you, because you're specially chosen, you are specially loved. An adopted child can rest secure in the knowledge that he or she is deeply loved because they have been chosen, specially chosen, specially loved. And you see, that is true for everyone who places their trust in Christ. We have been specially chosen, and that means we are specially loved. And that means that a key part of Christian growth is living out our status as loved children of the Father. It's that process, of course, of allowing what we believe intellectually to actually gain traction in our day-to-day life experience. And as the gospel trickles down from our head to our hearts, the whisper of our hearts changes. The voice, I am bad, becomes increasingly faint And it's replaced by another louder voice, I am loved. So Jesus moves Peter and us from shame to acceptance. But Jesus doesn't leave Peter there and he doesn't leave us there. Because Jesus then goes on to move Peter from acceptance to commissioning. And that strand of the process come together in this second event that Jesus now reenacts for Peter. Jesus conducts a conversation with Peter that has an awkward threefold structure to it. Verse 15 of our passage in John 21. When he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep, my lambs. Uh, Three times, Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. Uh, Three times, Peter affirms that he does love Jesus. And three times, Jesus commissions him to a new role. Feed my lambs, care for my flock. Now, the threefold question has a painful similarity to Peter's threefold denial of Christ. Uh, 
And of course, the connection would not have been lost on Peter. But now, Peter is invited by the person he disgraced to a renewed commitment of love and service. I've only got a few moments to comment on this, so I'll just be brief, but, and it warrants further consideration. But we need to pick up on this point. Because what we see with Peter is that we need to look back before we can look forward. Uh, looking back to our failures and past hurts is painful, but it is necessary to embrace the future and the ministry that God has for us. Uh, shame is a bit like that fairground game, whack-a-mole. Uh, if we try to ignore it, it keeps popping up in other places. And therefore, the intent of this short sermon series is to put shame back on the agenda where we see it still harboring in our hearts. And to say, yep, yeah, it's painful, but I need to go back. I can't ignore it. Because we need to look back before we can truly go forward and experience the release from it. Jesus isn't just offering forgiveness. He is bestowing the gift of honor on Peter. He's entrusting Peter with a new honorable role moving forward. Uh, the good shepherd invites Peter to be an under-shepherd of his flock. It's the calls the role of leadership, of course. And this time, Peter is not going to let his Lord down. And so we see this progression in the way that the Lord ministers to Peter's heart. We see this journey firstly from shame to acceptance and then from acceptance to commissioning. And that journey is also ours. So you see, such is the case for everybody who comes to Christ in faith. Uh, not only does shame bring a sense of unworthiness, but also uselessness. Often people burdened with shame struggle to believe that they could ever be of use to God. But if you have come to Christ, then you are chosen, but you are chosen with a purpose. God has chosen you to be adopted in his family. He cherishes you. You are deeply loved. But he has chosen you with a purpose in mind. And the purpose is service. John 15, verse 16. Jesus says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and to bear fruit. Fruit that will last Ephesians 2, verse 10. Uh, for we, speaking of Christians, are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you've come to Christ in faith, uh, God already has an agenda for your life. He has a purpose for your life. We are saved for service. And he already has things which he has on his agenda, good works for you to do in his service. So do you feel ill-equipped? Well, remember, when God chooses us, he also equips us. Uh, he has given us abilities and gifts to use in his service. And each of us have different abilities and different gifts. But believe me, they are all valuable in God's service. Service. We are saved for a purpose. 
We are saved for service. And of course, Christ calls us to serve him. And we do that by loving him, by loving others in the church and in the world. Let me pray for us before I open up to comments and questions. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you have saved us through Christ, uh, but you save us for a purpose. Uh, You save us for service. Uh, You don't just resolve the shame from our past through the cross and the resurrection, uh, but you also bestow honor on us. You entrust us with the, uh, the duty and the privilege of serving you. How wonderful. So please, we pray, help us to see what that means for each of us here how you would have us serve you in the church and in the world and help us do it in your strength and your enabling and to your glory. Amen.